Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the choice before you. My question is, are you wheat or are you shaft? Are you a saint or an ain't? Are you saved or just fooling yourself? No decision is a decision in itself. You've decided not to choose for Him. You've chosen to choose against Him. Make sure you understand that. You cannot be neutral, but the time is at hand that you can repent even now. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Now, any financial advisor worth his salt will tell you that no investment is guaranteed. In fact, the higher the possible return, the higher the risk. Well, there is one outcome you can count on, and that's eternity without God if you reject His Son. Today, Pastor Xavier echoes this warning of John the Baptist in a message appropriately entitled, Voice in the Wilderness. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1-12 through 12 gives us the ministry of John the Baptist according to Matthew. He says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Israel, for the most part, was walking away from God. They were very religious. Now, sometimes we say, well, you know, if you're religious, at least that's a good start. No, it isn't. It's really a bad start. Because being religious, you think you're walking towards God, but actually you're walking away from God. Read Romans chapter 1. But if you are just living unto yourself and you don't believe in God, then, you know, you might be a little more open. And so the word repentance means a change of mind. Not only a change of mind regarding God, who He is, and that He exists, but a change of mind regarding sin and what it does to me and God. It separates me from God. Do you know that Christianity is the only, let's call it a religion, that demands repentance of the individual? And repentance means a change of mind. You turn around and walk away from your sin. So first of all, you confess, you acknowledge your sin. You don't blame it on anybody else. But you say, that is sin, and I take full responsibility for it. Secondly, there is confession of that sin. Thirdly, there is an abandonment of that sin. Fourthly, there is a contrition of heart. I don't just feel bad because of the consequence or that I got busted. I feel bad because it was sin against God and it separated me from Him. And if at all possible, there is restitution made. Now, you show me a religion that demands that in terms of conversion. None. Notice the reason is marked by urgency. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not just to make people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, say, oh, you Christians, you guys, you're always, you know, trying to make people feel guilty. You don't want to enjoy life. Hey, that's why God wants you to repent so you can enjoy life and so I can enjoy it. In the world, you can't enjoy life. When you're young, you may run fast. But the faster you run, the more you look back and the more danger of crashing. Sin is fun. And it is pleasurable for a season. But there is a payday. Others of you are still out there. 
and you're still looking for something that's going to bring meaning to your life, this is it. Repentance. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rule of God over the earth that was promised to the Jews, which would climax in what? The judgment of the wicked. The kingdom of heaven is a favorite phrase of Matthew 32 times. It's found nowhere else in the other Gospels. The other phrase is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven speaks of the overall ruling of God over the earth, though we don't see it all absolutely right now. But the kingdom of God refers to the rule, an absolute rule of God in the heart of an individual. You may be under the kingdom of heaven, but my question to you is, are you in the kingdom of God where He rules your heart? Absolutely. If you're just comfortable in being under the kingdom of heaven, you could be saved or not saved. You could be a saint or an ain't. You could be forgiven or damned. And so there's an urgency in this message. The kingdom has both come and is yet still future. The kingdom of light has penetrated the kingdom of darkness. The minute we repent, we are translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear or beloved Son, the kingdom of light. So the kingdom of light has penetrated the kingdom of darkness, but is not here yet. It's still future. Jesus will bring the kingdom in. Notice that in verse 3, He is preparing the way for the Messiah also. He says, For this is He who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40 verse 3 declared the prophecy of John the Baptist. Now remember Isaiah. Isaiah is proclaiming Israel's judgment to come. They are perverse. They have walked away from God. So the first 35 chapters, he speaks of the, uh, of the captivity and the uh, giving up of the nation, judgment. Chapter 36 through 39, you have four chapters of history of the depraved time of that history. But then in chapter 40 comes a turnaround in Isaiah so contrary to the first 39 chapters that many of our quote-quote theologians have speculated and theorized that there are two Isaiahs instead of one. I think there are up to now four or five Isaiahs. Well, if they would have wrote the commentary of John about Isaiah, they would have known that there was only one Isaiah because Jesus quoted from the first part and from the second part and say, Isaiah the prophet spoke. They would have sold themselves a lot of studying. But chapter 40 is a contrast. Come for ye my people. And it's redemption. And from chapter 40 to the end of Isaiah, you have the most glorious promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the comfort, the one who's going to come, the one who's going to redeem in spite of the downfall of Israel. And it is here where John the Baptist, the forerunner, the precursor of Jesus Christ, is proclaimed. Isaiah proclaimed him. He was to make his path straight. This was a practice of kings. When they traveled on, on like, like king's highway, the messengers would be sent before and they would fill the holes and they would level any high parts so that the carriage would have a smooth ride. John the Baptist was to prepare the way. How? By proclaiming repentance and preparing the nation of Israel. It's been 400 years since God has spoken through a prophet. Here it is. John the Baptist has come. He's preparing the way according to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. What is he preparing? He's preparing the heart of men. But notice he was also after the order of Elijah in verse 4. And John himself was clothed in camel's hair with leather and a belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
John was before his time. He was a hippie. <laughs> and he was a wild guy out there. I can imagine the expression and the response of all these uppity-up religious people. Just like I'm sure all the uppity-up religious people said when the Lord started saving many of us in the Jesus movement. Them long hairs, pill-popping, pot-smoking. They're not born again. Look at they come in the church barefooted. They can't be Christians. Hey, God has turned that group of hippies into one of the greatest works in the history of the church. And all the religious people lost out because they didn't see the work of God. They looked at the outwardness of man rather than the heart. You know, if you're truly born again, God will take care of the outside in time. <laughs> but he's more concerned about the inside. All of that will take care of itself. And here he is. Elijah was much like that. He was a wilderness man. And 2 Kings 1.8 is described like that. And, and here's John the Baptist. He's out there. And as a matter of fact, Jesus Christ himself, speaking of uh, John, because remember when John was in prison, he sent some of his disciples to ask him if he was the one. He says, well, what do you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? A man with fine vesture? He says, no. John was a courageous man. He didn't back down from anybody. He wasn't a wind that just blew with the wind, intimidated. He stood strong and he proclaimed the word of God with all love. And he didn't have a three-piece camel suit on. <laughs> he wasn't in king's houses. And notice that he didn't send out proclamation to come out. They came out to him. That's why I'm amazed as God continues to bring people here. That's the greatest evidence that God's behind the ministry. As He brings you to hear the gospel, that God is doing a work in your life. And that is the absolute evidence that any pastor teacher wants in his ministry. That it is a work of God and not of his own manipulation or his own promotion. Because promotion does not come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord. And so John was quite a sight. He was a courageous man. He wasn't a wimp. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, all did prophesy until John the Baptist. John the Baptist closed the Old Testament canon. There has nobody been anybody greater than John the Baptist. And yet, do you know he never declared or proclaimed one miracle? Not one miracle. What do we say to signs and wonders today? Used as a promotional for evangelism. Am I speaking against signs and wonders and, and the gifts of the Spirit? No, they're for today. But be careful you don't chase them. You're liable to get dizzy. You make sure you're following Jesus. My Bible says that signs and wonders follow them. They didn't follow signs and wonders. That's very important. And you make sure that whatever you believe is of God, you can find it in Scripture. And if you can't find it in Scripture, you better throw it away and get away from it. Because the revelation of God is the ultimate standard for what you think or say it's of God. And nothing less than that. And so the identity of John. But look at in verse 5 through 7, we have the individuals who came out to John to hear him. It says that they came from all around. From Jerusalem, all Judea, all the regions around Jordan. They went out to him. It wasn't just a local little clique. 
Make sure that you're open. Make sure that God is doing the work and that people are coming from all around. It's not just ministering to people like you. It's not ministering to people of your own culture, but that God is bringing people from all around. That's the dynamic of the Spirit. We're a family. We sit at the same table. The common denominator is Jesus. And I don't care what you look like on the outside. You just sit down and let God deal with the inside and everything else will be taken care of. But you try to please man, you're going to mess yourself up. All around, all these people came because God was bringing them by His Spirit. But notice also in verse 6 that they were convicted of their sin. They were baptized by Him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. There was a conviction. As the Word of God goes forth, if it's a true Word of God, then God is going to convict people. But notice also in verse 7, the people who came out, they were rebuked for their hypocrisy. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers or generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There is sharp rebuke. There is confrontation in the Word of God. Absolutely. But the motive behind it is that you turn. But now John sees the Pharisees and Sadducees here. And remember, John was of the priestly order. He was well familiar with these guys. And that's why he could say, you brood of vipers. What are you guys doing out here? You think going through a ritual is going to do it? You think mixing in with the multitudes is going to get it? No way. He says, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The picture there is of vipers in the desert who are fleeing because a fire has broken out. Scurring. And really they're running, they're turning because of the heat. And not because of the conviction. Why are you turning? Because of the heat or the conviction? Just to mix in the multitudes or because God has really pointed out your heart? There's a sharp rebuke to our lives. Even as Christians, when we're not walking with God, we get off the wall, man, He confronts us. I hope you run your house like that. I hope you confront everybody in your house. Nobody gets by with anything. Husband, wife, children, everybody's the same. You run your house with accountability. In doing that, you will teach your children how to be parents and how to be husbands and wives. But if you don't, God helped them in their home. You know how homes like that are. Many of you were raised like that. So was I. But thank God he saved me and now I run my home the way he wants it. There's a big difference. But these guys thought they were just blend in. And so John exposes their hypocrisy. And John dealt with every one of them the same. All in the same message. He didn't have separate ministries. <laughs> he met the need there. But notice from verse 8 to verse 12, we've seen the identity of John and the individuals who heard John. But in verses 8 through 12, you have the impending judgment. You see, there's always a purpose and a result behind the preaching and the content. He says, therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance. The impending judgment, first in verse 8, is... The accepted evidence of sonship is fruit. 
God judges you that way. If you're a son, there will be fruit. If you're a daughter, there will be fruit in your life. There has to be impending judgment, and it is urgent already. We've seen that the kingdom of God, heaven is at hand. God looks for fruit, not to be saved as evidence of your salvation. Before you come to the cross, you can do nothing. Just believe in Jesus Christ and then repent. But once you come past the cross, you've been saved, then there's going to be fruit as evidence that you come through the cross. That's why Paul and James many times are misunderstood, thinking that they contradict one another. Paul is saying, you can't work before the cross, just believe. But James says, once you come to the cross, you're saved, then there has to be work, which is fruit. Evidence of salvation. And so the impending judgment here is the accepted evidence of sonship is fruit. Do you have fruit in your life? Is the work of the Spirit of God in your life? Has your life changed? Is your life being transformed? Do you desire the things of God? I'm not saying you don't have the warfare. You don't have, we all have it. I'm carrying around a stinking dead old man. And one of these days I'm going to put him off. But right now I have to reckon him dead every day. But I'm a new creature. I'm not the same man I was back in 1973. Thank God. And I don't want to be. But secondly, also in verse 9 there, notice the unacceptable evidence of sonship. He says there, Do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. The unacceptable evidence of sonship is an identification, as we said before, whether you come to church, your name's in a scroll, your parents were Christians, you've been baptized, whatever it is. My question is, are you wheat or are you shaft? Are you a saint or an ain't? Are you saved or just fooling yourself? Any association and identification apart from genuine godly repentance is unacceptable evidence of sonship or daughter. Unacceptable. That's the impending judgment of God. But there's a third thing in verse 10. The destructiveness of judgment. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, if you're a tree that doesn't bear fruit, then you're a tree worthy of fire to be burned and consumed. The axe is already laid. In other words, the Messiah is there already. The kingdom of God has arrived in part. And judgment was going to fall. Looking just 70 years ahead in 70 AD, judgment will fall upon Jerusalem as Jesus cried over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who sent, I've sent the prophets and you've stoned them. How many times I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks in her wings, but you would not. So now I leave unto you desolate, and you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The axe is laid to the tree. Where? The root. The root is always identified with the fruit. If your root is in God, you're going to have fruit. But if your root is dead in God, you will have no fruit. And it's always relational. The impending judgment will be destruction for those who do not know God. To those who are just playing church. Absolutely. But then there's the constructiveness of judgment also in verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, John says, I 
and baptizing you with an outward ritual. But he will baptize you with an inward reality of the heart. Fire will only purify your life if you're truly in Christ. The fire of the Holy Spirit will purify your life of sin and keep you on the cutting edge and keep you confessing and keep you in line and keep you growing and keep you submissive and keep you yielding and keep you in love with God. But if you're that tree that bears no fruit, the fire, as we'll see, will only destroy that. There's a difference. Now John here says, I'm second man. He's first man. I baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you. And it refines you and it leads you and it guides you. It teaches you. But you should be always open to the continual filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you stay under the influence and the power of the Spirit of God. Absolutely. And so here you have the contrast, the destructiveness, the constructiveness. Same fire, what's the difference? Who I am now. I'm a son of God. And God's fire will only refine me. When I'm not a child of God, God's fire will consume me. As Romans 2.5 says, I'm only treasuring to myself up the wrath of God if I keep putting it off over and over and over again. And so he finishes in verse 12 by the certainty of both judgments. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, speaking about Jesus, and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. This is the picture of the Old Testament of wheat. They do the wheat harvest. They, 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 they beat it with sticks so that they separate the wheat from the, the husk outside the, and the kernel. And then they get big shovels and they throw them up in the air and the wind blows away the shaft and the wheat falls to the ground. And when everything's done, they gather all the... Uh, the, the shaft and they burn it and they grab all the wheat and they put it into the barn. Now he likens the two judgments as certain. It is at hand. It is urgent. You need to repent. Either your wheat or your shaft. If you're wheat, then examine your life and make sure you stay in the light. If you're shaft, then you need to Repent. And you need to turn to Jesus Christ. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. The judgment is impending. But only you can make that decision. The judgment is pending. But only you can make that decision. I pray that you open your heart to what God has for you. The message is not the most popular for today. Because we have too many options. But God is always sincere with you. He deals with your need. And He wants you to see yourself as you really are if you don't know Him, that you might turn and come to know Him. And so as the Word of God has gone forth, I pray that you respond. No decision is a decision in itself. You've decided not to choose for Him. You've chosen to choose against Him. Make sure you understand that. There is no middle ground. You cannot be neutral. Either you are in Christ Jesus or you are apart from Jesus. Either you are wheat or you are shaft. Either you are being constructed by the Spirit of God or you're going to be destroyed by the Spirit of God. One of the two. But the time is at hand that you can repent even now. 
Won't you respond this morning and open your heart to him? He cares for you. Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up our time together today with the simple truth about salvation. And please don't hesitate to contact us if we can pray for you or help you in any way. And when you do, you can also request a copy of today's challenging study called Voice in the Wilderness. It's available on CD for just $4. And this message contains much more material than we had time to share with you today. So if you'd like to do an even deeper study of today's text, the title to ask for once again is Voice in the Wilderness. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Xavier Reese continues this intriguing study from the book of Matthew. That's right here on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 